Outcast is proud to be the first podcast novel listed at podcalgary.org. Some interesting developments have come up in the past little while, including... Could I possibly be the next Scott Sigler? You'll have to wait until later to find out, because here comes Outcast, episode 15. Outcast is a science fiction podcast novel written and read by Chris Fitzgerald. This novel contains mature subject matter, language, and violence, so listener discretion is strongly advised. And hello again, my faithful, wonderful, awe-inspiring outcasts. Is that enough sucking up? Hope so. Oh, man. I gotta say that life has been hell since the last actual story episode. But I'm working through it. A lot of changes are happening in my life, and while a few of them aren't so good right now, most of what's happening to me is a positive. Now, what does this mean in terms of the book slash podcast? Well, now that I'm finally back down to only one job, that's right, I gave up the newspaper route, we're done with it, the weight has been lifted, and now we can focus back on real life. But now that that's done, there is a huge amount of stress I no longer have on me. So that's going to free up a lot of time and energy to which I can devote to Outcast and the many other projects I have going on. Optimistically, I'd say production is going to be speeding up on my end very soon. Now i got two pimping jobs I'm going to do but I'm going to leave that until after the episode. So for now, sit back, relax, and here comes Outcast. Chapter 15 Nightmares. We all have them. Young, old, rich, poor, stable, insane. We all have minds and sometimes they drift into that dark, swirling place in our subconscious where untold horrors dwell. For some of us, we're forced to relive those moments in our lives we'd all sooner regret. For others, the imagination twists and turns the real into the surreal. Monsters, vampires, demons, horrors we could never conceive of in the conscious mind suddenly spring to some kind of life, sending us on a jet coaster ride of emotional torture. Regardless of what we dream of, the awakening is always the same, isn't it? We whimper, cry, scream. Our bodies shiver from the cold sweat. And for that one brief instant after we awaken, we think we're still in the nightmare. Though our eyes are open, we still see the world from our subconscious. Our hearts beat that much harder because we think that somehow our nightmares have come true. It never lasts, though. Before long, our conscious mind reasserts itself and the veil is lifted. We see through the diluted haze and we get that wonderful sense of relief as we realize it was only a dream. That's how it always ends, isn't it? There's always that happy ending that leaves us shaken, maybe a little disturbed, but always awake and safe. But what happens when the nightmare doesn't just disappear? What if, while you're still awake, the nightmare overtakes you, and there is no waking up? What then? How do you escape the terror when no matter what you do or where you try to go, 
it's always over your shoulder, ready to take you down again. The knife against my throat was small but sharp. The tiger holding it had it exactly placed against the right vein, too. A quick flick of his wrist and I was as good as dead. He knew it, too. I could hear him purring softly behind me. He gave off the distinct impression that he enjoyed doing this to people. I could hear someone whimpering nearby and managed to turn my head just enough to see Tekki a few meters away. Like me, she was being held from behind, but by a lion. A very big lion. He had the kind of build that would have made him a monster on the Lachan wrestling circuit. Hells, he could have mowed down a dozen Shatlia without a thought. If someone that big was holding her, I began wondering just how big the guy was holding me. Are you all right? I asked her. She could look at me for only a moment before the lion forced her to look away. She let out a small scream as she was righted, which caused me to tense up. I heard a low growl of warning come from my captor, then the distinct sound of him licking his lips slowly. Don't do nothing stupid, pretty boy, he said softly. Be ashamed to bleed a fine-looking kitten like you so soon. What do you want with us? I demanded. The tiger chuckled lowly. Hmm. It ain't what I want, he said. It's what he wants. He forced me to look away from Daki and focus on two figures emerging from the shadows. It was then I realized just how isolated we were down here. Taki and I were effectively cut off from the rest of the world in this alley. Her loudest scream would probably never be heard by anyone out there. No one would ever know we were down here until our bodies were discovered by mere happenstance. The two figures that approached wore what looked like expensive business suits. The one on the left, a cheetah, looked like he'd been in a few fights in his day. He reminded me a bit of Silas, in that his face bore the scars of a hard life. However, unlike Silas, his eyes were hard, intense. It seemed that all it would take was a word and he'd rip us both to shreds. So, said the other one, a jaguar, what have we got here, hmm? He strode over towards me, his hands behind his back. What's your name, boy? I was unsure of what else to say. What do you want with us? I remember how pathetic I sounded at that moment. Barely an adult trying to show a brave face in front of someone I loved. Yet as brave as I had to be, there was no denying my own fears. Were it just me, I'd risk anything to teach these four a lesson they'd not soon forget. But with Tekki in danger, that all changed. I didn't know how to act, what to do, and that loss of control was the beginning of this living, conscious nightmare. You see, the jaguar said, we got a little problem here. It appears you are in possession of something that belongs to someone else. What What are you... He turned slightly and nodded towards Tekki. I followed his nod and saw the fear in my cougar's eyes. What are you saying? I asked. I'm saying, the jaguar growled, getting right in my face, that you are in for a world of hurt. 
His breath smelled of bad liquor and stale tobacco. I heard the cheetah next to him crack his knuckles. Big T don't like it when someone steals from him. It makes him mad. Leave him alone, Taki shouted. The jaguar turned and stormed over to her. He cocked his right hand and delivered a backhand slap that echoed in the alleyway. She winced loudly and probably would have crumpled to the ground had that lion not been holding her up. Shut your mouth, bitch! The jaguar snarled. Big T said to find you, but he didn't say what kind of condition we have to bring your ass back in. So I suggest you keep that little mouth of yours shut. Hearing that slap and seeing Teki in danger helped take the edge off the fear I was feeling. Teki! I yelled. I tried to lunge, ignoring the knife at my throat, but the tiger held me firm. The cheetah came in hard and fast, punching me in the stomach. Hard. I hadn't expected it to hurt that much, and on reflex I doubled over. Thankfully, the tiger holding me seemed rather experienced at holding people at knife point. As I felt myself pitch over, he gripped me even tighter, but was careful not to let the knife cut me. Unfortunately, he also left my abdomen exposed for another punch from the cheetah. I was still recovering from the first one and had no time to tense my muscles for the impending blow. A few more like that, and the expensive Tuaro steak I just enjoyed would be decorating the cheetah's suit. Fortunately, he stopped his assault after that second blow. But I thought I could taste blood on my tongue. Blood. My blood. Like the sound of a knife clearing its sheath, the taste of my own blood somehow opened my eyes, but from within. It was like the clotted euphoria I'd been feeling before. That sensation of surreal separation from all of this was suddenly blown away like fog by a wind. It felt like my senses sharpened. My vision snapped into clear, perfect focus. My heart began to pound, and something deep inside felt like it was stirring. Awakening. I kept down the growl that was forming in my throat as the jaguar turned his attention back to me. Big T's been looking for this bitch for a while now. Thought she was going independent, he snickered. <laughs> Looks like instead of that, she done found herself a boyfriend. He got up in my face again. So tell me, kid. She good? She good to you, huh? Well, how do you think she got that way? I looked over at Tiki again. I could see the dread in her eyes as she stared back. The dread. And the shame. What the jaguar was implying couldn't be true, could it? No. She couldn't have been. Not... not willingly. What? You didn't know? he asked, snapping my attention back to him. He laughed out loud. <laughs> I won't believe this. You won't believe this? He panned his gaze around at the others. He didn't know. He then looked over at Teki. You never told him. Figures. You know, maybe you should have, bitch. Maybe you should have told him all the things you's good at. You rock his world good then, wouldn't you? He walked over to her, and with a nod she was forced to her knees. Every struggle or cry of protest was met with a slap or a growl. Yeah, the jaguar said. Maybe we ought to give your boy a little show, hmm? Maybe show him all your tricks? 
He moved in closer, and I saw her trying to turn away. My heart pounded that much harder, and that feeling deep inside, that growing whatever it was, began pushing against my thoughts. I thought for a moment that someone had slipped me some kind of drug. But drugs dull the senses, don't they? If anything, my senses were growing sharper, better, primal. I could hear the tiger's breathing grow a little heavier. Was he anticipating what was coming? Had he seen something like this before? How many other girls had been in the same situation? How many times had he gotten off watching his apparent boss humiliate one female after another? My sore stomach churned slightly as I felt him press against me a little tighter. And I realized that if things progressed along the Jaguar's intentions, this guy wouldn't be asserting himself over Taki. He'd be turning me into his bitch. Oh yeah, he purred into my ear. I'm gonna have fun breaking you in, sweetie. As soon as Daryl gives the word, you're all mine. Daryl, please, Tiki whimpered. Let him go. I'll go back, I, I swear, just let him go. I don't think so, bitch, said the jaguar. I guess he was Daryl. Not before he sees the real you. I saw him reach for something just below his waist. Was that a zipper? Yeah, bitch, he said. Let's give him a show, huh? Come on, just like you used to. It's kind of like riding a bike, isn't it? Tekki tried to turn away again, but this time Daryl gripped her by her ear and forced her to face him. I couldn't see what she was staring at, but I had a pretty good idea. I could see him fondling himself with the hand that wasn't holding Tekki's head. She continued to struggle, but his hand held her fast. This time I couldn't stop the growl. Darrow had turned just enough that I could see him exposed. He was pointing his manhood directly at her face, and she was trying in vain to turn away from it. He growled lowly and yanked on Taki's earrings, forcing her to face his protruding flesh. "'You know what to do, bitch,' he said, his voice growing savage. "'So get to it.' He pushed forward, and I felt my stomach lurch as it pressed against her lips. With a cry, she turned away once more, ignoring the obvious pain she was in from his holding her by those three earrings. I said, suck it, bitch, he roared, and with a pull, he ripped the earrings from her. I never heard the scream. I never heard the others begin to laugh like idiots. All I saw was Daryl pulling, pulling those three silver hoops forcefully. I swear I could hear the flesh tear, see the blood spray from her ear. I thought I could see each droplet of blood arc through the air in slow motion before it spattered on the ground. I saw her muzzle pull back, her lips tightening to reveal her teeth, now opening to scream, but I never heard it. I never heard it because my ears were filled with the sound of my own roar. Whatever I'd felt earlier, that feeling that was growing inside suddenly exploded in my chest. My body burned with a rage I'd never felt before, not even when Grandfather had tried to hurt Teki. 
No. This was new. This was raw. This was feral. I raised my left foot and then brought it down with everything I could muster behind it. It wouldn't have meant much against the tiger holding me had my legs not been cybernetically augmented. The heel of my shoe drove down on top of his foot with the force of a pile driver. I felt the bones in his foot first yield, then crack, then shatter. It took him a full second to realize what had happened, and by that time I'd wrenched his knife-wielding arm away from my throat and stepped away from him. Still holding the arm with the knife, I cut loose with a punch directly to his armpit, and was rewarded by the satisfying pop of his shoulder dislocating. By then, his screams had finally found him, and he dropped to the ground, writhing in utter agony. I turned quickly and was met by the cheetah's fist. He snapped a punch off across my muzzle. When I think about it now, I don't really recall it hurting that much. In any case, I let the force of the punch drive me into a spin. As I spun, I cocked my own fist, and when I faced my attacker again, I lashed out. The punch hadn't been meant for his face or even his stomach. I was aiming lower. Much lower than that. The open-handed punch connected solidly with his knee, which again would have meant little were it not for the rage I was feeling and the implants. Bones snapped, cartilage tore, tendons ripped, and his scream filled my ears like some sadistic symphony. I recovered my stance just as the cheetah hit the ground, grabbing his nearly severed leg and howling in pain. Freed of my captors, I now shifted my gaze to the two holding Teki. I felt my fangs begin to itch with that feeling of bloodlust once more as I saw Darrow turn towards me. I shivered with delight as I watched his face turn from that smug look to one of absolute terror. Get him! I heard him shout. I glanced over towards Teki to see the lion had let her go. She crumpled to the ground, holding her bleeding ear and crying softly. That only fueled the growing rage within me. My fists clenched and claws extended as I gave in just that much more to the anger within me. This Pakla had dared to hold my beloved while Darrow tortured and humiliated her? He was going to pay. And pay dearly. The lion closed quickly with a powerful but clumsy attempt at a right cross. I blocked it and cut loose with one of my own. I connected with his jaw, but not nearly as hard as I wanted to. The force of his punch that I'd blocked had been enough to put me a little off balance. Still, my own blow was hard enough that he reeled from it, which gave me a chance to right myself. Before he could recover, I came in fast and hard, fists and claws swinging. Strong as the lion was, he wasn't that quick nor did it seem that he was too used to an opponent who fought back. <laughs> Probably too busy beating down defenseless young girls. But slow as he was, the battle was far from one-sided. Enraged as strong as I was, I was still not experienced enough to avoid every swing. He landed a few good shots, ones that I'd be sure to feel in the morning, but at that moment I felt no pain. Only a burning desire to lay this pakla out like a slab of meat before his master. I wanted nothing more than to show Darrow in as much a detail as I could the amount of hurt to which I was about to subject him. I thought I heard Darrow whimper over the scream the lion let out when I kicked out first one, then the other knee. Like the cheetah, I'd held nothing back in destroying those joints, and in the process nearly amputated the lion. The moment he fell, I was on him like a predator, 
fists burying themselves in his muzzle. Blood, bone, and teeth spattered on the pavement with each punch. How I ended up not killing him that night mystifies me to this day. Still, when I finally rose up, that lion was going to need more time in reconstructive surgery than I'd spent in a coma. I must have looked a sight as I faced our last attacker, the one who would dare hurt Teki. I was covered in the blood of three foes, all of which wouldn't make it out of this alley lest they crawled. My fists were soaked with the lion's blood, and I could only imagine my eyes were bloodshot from the boiling rage inside. Darrow's fear was so thick in the air it was nauseating. Normally the scent of primal fear had an almost narcotic effect on predators, but at that moment it was too much. Clearly it had been some time since this jaguar had fought his own battles. He'd grown complacent, depending more on his henchmen than his own skills. Now he was going to pay for that complacency. With each step I took towards him he retreated. Taki had been long forgotten by the both of us at this point. All I could think of was tearing this pakla in half, and I imagined all he could think about was how to make it out of this alley alive. I snarled at him, and was rewarded by another scent mixing with the overpowering smell of fear. I chanced a quick glance downward and nearly began laughing. He had all but shriveled up down there, and now the white fur of his sheath was quickly turning yellow as he lost control of his bladder. In that one split second of averting my eyes, Darrell struck out at me. His fist connected with my muzzle hard, forcing me back a step or two. He got in two more good punches before I finally got my bearings and was able to counter. I blocked his next attempt and responded with a hard punch to his gut. As he doubled over, I introduced him to my knee, which forced his head back up and straight into a lunge punch that pushed him back against the alley wall. I was on him in mere heartbeats alternating punches between his stomach, chest, and muzzle. I could see and smell the blood dripping out of his mouth. I could see the shattered teeth flying away from him and landing on the ground. My whiskers tingled as I thought I felt his very life slipping away from him. Dying. By my hands. It, it felt, felt glorious. I was just about to deliver a final shot to Darrow's head when I heard a quiet whimper from behind me. I stopped and turned slightly. Teki was sitting up now, watching me pummel Darrow into Jaguar Pate. She was watching, and she was shaking. I looked into her eyes and I saw... I saw the fear in them. Fear directed at me. She was no longer afraid of Darrow or any of his now unconscious cohorts. Now her fear was directed solely at me, the one who saved her. I took a look at my still-clenched fist. Blood, gore, and tooth fragments mixed in with my fur there. I couldn't even see my natural fur color in my hand for all the blood. I stared down at my shirt. It too was covered in blood. I opened my fist, feeling the pain of it being clenched so tightly for so long. The sickening realization welled up within me as I panned around the alley. I saw the broken bodies of the lion, tiger, and cheetah, all of them moaning in pain and despair. And then I turned back to Darrow. 
blood was pouring out of his mouth and nose. Had I landed that final blow, I know for certain that I would have killed him. He would have died by my hands, and I would have reveled in it. The moment he'd breathed his last, I was positive I would have roared my triumph to the patrons, showing them what they'd unleashed on our kind by allowing my exile. I relaxed and let Darrow go. He slumped to the ground and wheezed painfully. As I walked away, I could hear him hawking up blood and phlegm trying to clear his throat. Unless he had a gun on him, there was nothing he could do to me now anyway. Not to me, and thankfully no longer to Taki. I knelt down before her and bowed my head, feeling ashamed for letting things go as far as I had. I'd inflicted more pain, more suffering, than was necessary for us to escape. A few quick shots to break their hold on us and we could have run for it. Yet now, here we were. Two blood-covered kids surrounded by a ring of near corpses. I'd lost control. The image of Daro ripping those earrings out of her still burned in my mind. Yet each time I felt the anger swell, the memory of the fear in her eyes replaced that anger with shame. Humiliation. I felt worthless now, somehow unworthy of her. When I felt her hand touch the side of my muzzle, I looked up. The fearful look in her eyes was gone, and in its place was a sad but understanding expression. Wordlessly, I moved towards her, kissing her lightly on the lips. She returned the kiss, and we embraced tightly. I felt myself beginning to shake from both the adrenaline fade and the upwelling of emotions within me. This only made her hold me tighter. I'm sorry, I choked out finally. I'm so sorry, Tiki. I didn't mean to. I know, she choked back. I know. Finally, after the shaking and tears stopped, I helped her to her feet. Her ear was a mess, both bloody and torn, but there were clinics in the downtown core that could fix that with little problem. As to all the blood and gore on my clothes, I figured one of the four Paklas lying around the alley would have a suit jacket that would fit. It wouldn't be much, but at least it would cover up some of the evidence that was splattered all over me. The tiger, who'd been so intent on taking away another virginity of mine, was my first choice for a potential clothing donator. His jacket was a little big, but it would do the job. He squealed in pain as I removed the jacket, but by that point I was too numb to really care or do anything about it. We moved back towards the street from where we'd been taken. In spite of all I'd done in that alley, and how I felt about it, I took some comfort in knowing that Darrow and his comrades wouldn't be on the prowl for us anytime soon. Their injuries aside, the memory of what happened in that alley would doubtlessly haunt them for months, if not years. They dared to mess with the mate of a Lautari, and for that, they nearly paid the ultimate price. Even to this day, I still ponder what would have happened had I not stopped. Could I have possibly killed Darrow? Would my rage have held out long enough for me to actually take another life? Every time I think about it, one word pops up in my mind. A word spoken with a sweet, 
seductive whisper, dripping with venomous lust. Yes. Ah, the happy ending. Well, if you call blood, guts, gore, and guilt mixed with some feelings of dread and foreboding happy. <laughs> Actually, I had a lot of fun writing that particular chapter. I don't know why, but the more action-packed violent scenes almost seem to write themselves. Oh Anyway, as I mentioned in the last feedback show, I've been posting the text version of Outcast on a couple of sites, and I want to take a second and throw some shouts out to those people who've taken the time to provide some feedback on those chapters. Now, this is only going to be a few of you. The rest I'll get to over the next couple of episodes. So first off, we have Miles, Draconor, Felix, Leoman Fan Forever, Torque, who's written into the show before, Foxwolf, and finally, Cat Sith X. God, I hope I got that right. Anyways, thank all of you for taking a few moments out of your day to post some thoughts about the story. I really appreciate and respect any and all feedback I get on the book and the podcast. And I've also got a couple of emails I want to share. The first is from Cody, who writes, I'm two chapters from the end of what you have posted, and let me tell you, yours truly is not looking forward to the brick wall of anticipation that I've been hearing so much from you about. Great. This story is just so well done that I don't want to reach the point where I have to wait for the next chapter. I guess that I'll just have to deal with it like all the loyal listeners you've had before you showed me your story. I guess I should have mentioned at the beginning that this is coming from you via the Fur Affinity Audio Stories pages email. I'm going to be an avid listener from now on. That's something I promise you. I will also be doing a journal about each chapter on the Audio Stories page to let some of the FA fans get in on the action if they aren't already. Now then, down to the praise of your incredible work. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) When I first started listening, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, to be honest. It's a science fiction setting, and I have noticed that it's easy to offend the nerds like me with slight inaccuracies of techie mumbo-jumbo. You, in fact, left all of the technical aspect out of the game and did a beautiful job of making it so that it wasn't important. The reader feels no need to know more about the workings of things simply because they are too enwrapped in the description of Darian Kane's inner turmoil. I don't know if I could ever write something so tearing as the death of those children. I'm not saying I didn't love it, just that I don't think I have anywhere near the level of writing skill at this point. I've got skill? Wow. Your world's governmental system seemed somewhat cliché, sorry to be so blunt, but you remove that aspect over time and great delivery of the world's history. It gives logic and understanding to the past of the society as well as the characters. Darian's gradual understanding of his transformation was one of my favorite parts so far. I became so into the story that I refused to talk to my roommate until I'd finished the chapter. My life keeps me moving a lot so I don't always have time to listen to the story. It's too good for me not to just sit and focus on the words and well-placed sound effects. Thank you for providing the world with the story. I can't wait to see how it all turns out. I know you're going to keep me squirming on that one, though. Your loyal fan, Cody. Wow. (laughs) Well, thanks a lot, Cody. Now, for a bit of clarification for all of you, Cody goes by the alias of Audio Stories on FurAffinity.net, which, as I've said before, is one of the sites where I'm posting the text version of this. He's also 
kind of taken on the role of a hookup. Um, he connects writers who want to have their stories done in an audio format with readers who are willing to read them. And actually, in fact, thanks to him, I managed to connect with a writer I hadn't talked to in years. His name is Will Sanborn, and here comes pimping part number one, and he's the host of the new Anthro Dreams podcast. Now, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Anthro Dreams is kind of like Variant Frequencies or Escape Pod in that it's an anthology of stories of a particular genre done by various authors. And these stories are read by various readers, of which I'm now one. That's right. I've done one story for the show so far, and after I'm finished recording this, I'm going to be working on a second one for him. i got to say, it's actually kind of fun reading someone else's work trying to figure out what voices go best with which character, all that stuff. I'm hoping to become a regular reader on the show, and who knows, maybe it'll lead to something even bigger down the road. Now, I really need to interrupt the emails here to answer the other burning question I left up at the beginning of the episode, namely, could I possibly be the next Scott Sigler? Now, I actually have Cody to thank for this one, because in another email to me, he wrote the usual more happy ego-stroking praise, for which I'm eternally thankful, But at the end of the note, he wrote this, and I quote, You, good sir, have created audio crack. Audio crack. Yeah, you heard right. I am the creator of audio crack. I have made an addict out of someone. Someone who needs a regular dose of outcast. Someone who needs it like a... Like a... I can't say it. If I do, the future Dark Overlord will hunt me down and have me strung up by my entrails for daring to call my fans... junkies. But seriously, Scott's first book, Earthcore, was considered audio crack. So if Outcast can be considered just as addicting, then I must be doing something right. My next email is from BlueHusky21, who writes, Just want to say you are doing great. I still love your podcast. I need to say that you are really full of talent. The way you tell the story with passion is great. I just went back to the first one, and hey, I still find the old spark I had when I first listened to it. You are a good person, and please let no one tell you otherwise. And go to a fur con if you can. I bet you'll make even more friends. (laughs) Ah, shucks. You got me blushing again, man. As for going to a fur con anytime soon, well... A few weeks ago, I would have said that's impossible. But now I'd say there's an outside chance I might be able to travel to one convention or another. I'm not sure if I'm ready for the madness I suspect Anthrocon to be. Well, I'm also kind of leaning towards going to DragonCon as well, just to finally hook up with some of these podcasters who'd helped inspire me to get into the game. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. And I'll be back soon with episode 16. More shouts to all you outcasts out there and even more news on what this humble little podcaster's been up to. So until next time, this is Chris, signing off. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Outcast, a podcast novel written and read by Chris Vitston. For more information, please visit the show's website at outcastnovel.mevio.com. Feel free to leave a comment or soundbite at outcastnovel at gmail.com or call the NARC line at 206-600-NARC. That's 206-600-6272.
Theme music for Outcast is the song Electric Blue by Droom, which can be found on the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Cover art for Outcast done by Jason Frieden. Check out his site at www.jasonfrieden.com. And again, thanks for listening.